Well, we're in week four of our first ever sermon series that's covering the life of our church. The purpose of ACC is, is to provide a unified, clarified identity of who we are as a church as we head into a more formalized system of church membership. Let me say that in a way that's more understandable. We're going to allow people to join the church through an organized process very, very soon. But before we are able to do that, we have to communicate to you, who is this? Like, what has God done in and through this church? And that process, by the way, it's not like we're going to finish this series and then the week after we're zeroing out membership and then we got the whole pro. No, it, it is totally in process and, and will be happening over the course of this year. Just be patient with us and stay tuned for the journey. But this moment is huge because from now on, this series will be the one that we point back to and we go, oh, you're new? You need to watch that five-part series called ACC is. If you want to know who our church is, so some of you who are watching this right now, you're not watching it on Sunday, January 29th, 2023. You're watching it in the future and joining us in this moment. And so we're excited that you made it to part four. That means you're still interested after the first three, which is good. But each one of these things, they're not like vision statements about who we want to be eventually. These are realities that you walked into when you came to church this morning. These are things that we have noticed over the course of eight and a half years. This is the church that God is building here and some initiatives for us to be a part of. The presence of God, Jesus-centered zeal, countercultural formation. I don't have time to go into a full recap, but last Sunday, I know I preached long, but I, I could have kept going and going and going. There's so much I want to say about countercultural formation and, and it's been fleshed out over the last couple of years, but uh, I hope you know that more and more is coming to make that song we were just singing, Jesus, Jesus, all I want is to be like you. Like, we want Christ-likeness to be normal over the arc of a lifetime, not a moment of passionate worship on a Sunday, but people becoming more like Jesus and being formed into the image of God. But if you think about it, each one of those first three things by themselves they're kind of inner focused. Like they're kind of about you and God and the church that you attend. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to be filled with zeal for the glory of Jesus and stirred up with a passionate energy about the things of God. Good, good. I want to be formed into the image of Jesus. Yes, but if all you have are those three things disconnected from the mission of Jesus that is carried to the world, then all we're doing is contributing toward the consumer Christianity that we claim to be so vehemently against. So here's what Robert Mulholland, writer of a book called Invitation to a Journey, which is an excellent book on spiritual formation, by the way. He defines spiritual formation as this. Spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And do not miss that last statement. Spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. It means all of this zeal and being in the presence of God and being formed and spending time alone with God and quiet prayer and in the disciplines of living my life as a believer, that's not to turn you into some kind of Christian Buddhist who's walking around going, I'm present with the Lord, I am at peace with reality, and I am just ready to, to, to be me and do my self-care that I need spiritually. No, 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 that is demonic. 
What his truth is, all that God is doing on the inside of you is intended to be lived out in an expansion of his kingdom that's for the benefit of a lost, dark, and broken world. You're formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of the world and what God is doing on the inside of you becomes your gift to a world that is desperately in need. It is our spiritual act of worship. And so part four will hopefully bring that all the way around. ACC is the presence of God, Jesus-centered zeal, countercultural formation, and ACC is tender-hearted compassion. Tender-hearted compassion. That word compassion literally means to suffer with. It's so much deeper than sympathy or empathy so much deeper than good vibes, thoughts, and prayers to those who are suffering and struggling. It means that it is a Christian's responsibility to soften their heart and enter into the pain of a lost, dark, and broken world and be a part of the mission of Jesus being lived out. So the sermon today, everybody look up here, don't miss this. The sermon today is about our call as believers to live out the mission God gave us through the Great Commission, but to make sure we're not rooting it in the wrong thing. The root of our mission is tender-hearted compassion that has to stay connected to the love of God. Before I'm really able to flesh out that reality, and I promise you I'm going to flesh that out in, in fullness, I think I need to give a brief theology of what the kingdom of God or what the mission of Jesus really is. See, when we talk about missions, we could be talking about different things, depending on what you're thinking of when you hear that word and what I'm thinking of when I hear that word. When we talk about good deeds or good works or humanitarian aid, we could be talking about multiple different things. And this is one of those areas where theology is very, very important. I never want to downplay theology from our stage. Right belief leads to right action. And a week after I preached a passage that was about not falling for cunning and deceitful schemes, I just want to invite everyone who's listening to me right now to tune in and tell you as your pastor, you need to be very, very careful who you allow to tell you what this book means for your life. And, and, and this book is, is kind of a, a weird statement because it's a collection of books. Just this week, I was thinking about this point in the sermon, and like, I don't, like, I really just want to jump to the practical, like, here's what we're going to do, and here's what God's called us to be, but I'm like, I got to spend some time on theology, because we got to be united in our understanding of what it means for the kingdom of God to be expanding, because people will lie to you. Culture will lie to you. And the bad news that I'm up here with a very, very, very heavy heart preaching to you today, bad news that I need to tell some of you, pastors will lie to you. People will get up claiming to be telling you the truth about God and it not actually be true. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to sober us up and make sure we're coming to the word of God with an open heart, but also just call you as a church right now in our day. I would love it if we had more open dialogue. If you're reading a book or listening to sermons or following along with teaching that you're wondering and you need help, like, should I be listening to this guy? Should I be following this teaching? Please reach out. Like, Reach out to Randy if you're in Birmingham and some of the team out there. Reach out to our elders. I, pro- I know this church is big, and some of you are like, I don't want to interrupt, and I know they got a million different things going on. It matters to us that you're listening to voices of truth in your life. Okay, we want to help. So please hear that and please know that. 
The expansion of the kingdom of God through good deeds is not a humanitarian section of the Christian faith. See, the world would view our good works and our contributions and generosity towards society and view it as a, a moral construct or some kind of, like, why are Christians the first ones to be there whenever a disaster breaks out? Why do Christians, and this is from Barna, give away more money than any other religion or any other group of people to humanitarian relief? And it's not even close. It, it's not even kind of close. More than the government, too, by the way. I mean, Christians are the most generous people in the world. Christians are on the front lines of helping, but they're also not just serious about helping with physical needs. We're serious about helping with spiritual needs. Why are Christians serious about evangelizing the world through the message of Jesus? Why is it such an intense expansion that's like, you got to believe what I believe. you got to see this the way I see it. It seems a little invasive. It seems a little one-sided because... We believe the kingdom of God is not a set of teachings stuck in the Gospels. The kingdom of God is a reality that we walk in wherever Jesus is king. So if you need a definition, what what does he mean by the kingdom of God? It means the place where Jesus is king. And wherever Jesus is king, human beings flourish. So learn to see it this way. Whenever you hear the phrase kingdom of God, think of it as synonymous with human flourishing. Where Jesus is, can we put that on the screen? Where Jesus is king, sick people are healed. Where Jesus is king, divided people become united. Where Jesus is king, all of the evil that we see so prevalent in our world is done away with through this kingdom that is taken by, yes, the teachings that he offers, but his very kingship means the flourishing of humanity. It means the ways of God in the scriptures are God's wisdom for the freedom of humanity. It's not God trying to control and enslave humanity in a box that says, you gotta act like this sexually and you gotta, you gotta control your appetites like this and you gotta do this my way and I know it's oppressive, but I'm God, so I get to tell you what to do. It's a God whose heart for you is freedom, who's going, when you live according to my ways, you walk in the way I created the world, which is for my glory and for your good. The kingdom of God equals human flourishing. So every part of what we're doing to serve to reach the lost, to help those who are the most in need, to be a part of what God's doing in the world. It's really the extension of a kingdom where Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, and wherever you go, that kingdom is expanded. But watch this. It's expanded against another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, where death reigns, where evil is normal, where people are addicted and enslaved and oppressed, and impoverished, and sentenced to separation from God forever. That's the world we were born into. And the more the kingdom expands against that darkness, the more human beings flourish. That's just a little bit of theology, and I want to lay the groundwork in a few passages of Scripture. We're going to turn multiple places. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up high. Hold it up if you believe in fly, eagles fly. No. I got a Nick Foles jersey on the front row. Is that Nick Foles? Is it? Yes. You said no. I was like, I'm pretty sure it is. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. If we can get the cameras on her, this is my favorite person in the church today. On the, second, on the first row with the Eagles jersey. It's awesome. You can stand up too and, and show it off if you want. You know, you're good? Okay. Luke chapter 4. And as you go to Luke 4, I also want you to turn to Matthew 10. We're going to hit in multiple places, and then we're actually going to back up ultimately to Matthew 9. We're going to start in Luke 4. Fun story about this passage, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. This 
passage was supposed to be week two of our Luke, the Invitation of Jesus series. I wrote a sermon on this passage, and on Thursday, I don't know how to explain this, but just didn't have a piece that it was the right sermon for that week. All the content was great, so I wrote a totally new sermon and then preached that one, but then I wanted to go, Gage, you remember when this happened? I came up to you on the front row, and I was like, I think I'm going to do the other sermon, and I almost did different sermons at different gatherings on the same day, but I've been holding this passage in the back of my mind as, God, when do you want to release this to our church? And I think it's good that it's happening right now. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, I want you to get a groundwork view of why we extend the kingdom of God the way that we do. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, if you're there, say I'm there. He, Jesus, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Stop right there. Don't ignore that. Because we always ignore that. Okay, last week when I told you spiritual formation happens like this. The way plus the truth equals the life. When I was preaching on the truth, y'all were amending and shouting me down like a Pentecostal revival in here. It was like, oh, yeah, truth over lies. But then when I was talking about living the way of Jesus, it was crickets. Y'all were looking at me like I had lost my mind. You're like, what? what? Live the way of Jesus? Yeah. It's all these things that you never really noticed are there, but that are actually roadmaps to the life you're intended to live. Look at this. Jesus, on the Sabbath day, that's interesting, went into the synagogue as was his custom. What does that tell you about Jesus' life? Once a week. He got together with the people of God to sit under biblical teaching and have community with other like-minded people. You're a follower of him. What does that mean you should be doing? Taking his lifestyle and making it your own. I think it would be a good idea for you once a week to get around the people of God and sit under biblical teaching because that's what your rabbi did. That's how simple that point was last week. And that's why I just felt like y'all were not seeing it. You want to know why you don't see it? Because when we read a passage like this, we usually just totally skip that. And go, yeah, 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 yeah. He went to the synagogue on Sabbath once a week. and did. Wait a minute, the one I'm following, the one whose ways I'm called to emulate did that? I should do that. that that's all we're talking about. When we talk about the way plus the truth equals the life. It means watch what Jesus does and do likewise. And that's a perfect example. Once again, Y'all are scared right now. I don't know why. It's so simple. It's right there. Okay. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, in his first public sermon in the synagogue, takes the scroll, turns to Isaiah chapter 61, and reads this passage sits down, which it doesn't mean he was done. You would stand up for the reading, and then the teacher would sit down and teach. There's actually a room in Israel you can go into where you can see the seat and what this scene would actually look like. So cool. I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures. And, um, and Jesus reads this, and he goes, what I just read that was written 800 years ago, it just got fulfilled because I'm right here. What does that tell you? What, what did Jesus come to do? Did he come to start a new religion of 
morally upright people? Did, did he come to just create a new belief system? Did he come to just explain some new realities about God? No. He says, the Spirit of God has anointed me to proclaim good news, gospel, to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It means there is a societal difference in what happens because Jesus has arrived with very clear physical and spiritual implications. Good news for the poor. Where the gospel goes out, poor people are the first in line going, this is awesome. Especially those who recognize how spiritually poor they are before a holy God. And remember, we're talking about spiritual and physical realities coexisting today. Now, I want you to hold on to this thought from this passage and turn back with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 3 through 5. This is known, not nerd, known as the Sermon on the Go. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7? Here's another sermon from Jesus, but this one feels like he's moving. He's sending his disciples out on mission for the first time, that he's giving them authority, which is what he's about to do. And right after the 12 are named in Matthew 10 at the very beginning, look at what happens in verse 5. We'll start in verse 5. The 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What was the message the disciples were sent out to share? The same one that was Jesus's gospel message. What was Jesus's gospel message? It was not a four-part sermon on, hey, you guys are sinful, and God's holy, and I'm perfect. I've come to die. Pray a prayer. Believe in me, and watch me rise from the dead, and then you'll rise from the dead when you die, and let's hang out forever. See you there. That is not Jesus's gospel presentation. His gospel is this simple line. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The king is here, essentially, is what it means. So turn to God. He's here. It's happening. Wait, wait, what is the kingdom? You just read about it from the quote in Isaiah, but now you have Jesus going, hey, announce that the kingdom has come near, and then just start healing people, raising the dead, doing miracles all over the place. I think sometimes we read the miracles of the Bible. We don't really know what to do with them because we're like, ah, just, you know, I, 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 I want to see one physically, and I want to believe that that's possible. Listen, what you need to know about miracles is miracles are not interruptions to the natural order. They are a restoration of God's divine order. So when Jesus does a miracle, it's not, oh, naturally you would be sick, but now I'm going to supernaturally make you well. It's no, God never designed you to have this sickness. This is a product of the fall. And because the kingdom has come near, guess what? Sickness gone. Guess what? Death obliterated. Wherever the kingdom is spreading, all of a sudden, human beings are flourishing. So don't view the miracles of the Bible as, here goes God again, interrupting the natural scientific order. No, this is a restoration of how the world was created in Genesis and a return to a right relationship with God where human beings can flourish with no fear of death forever. He has brought light and immortality to light through the gospel, 2 Timothy. So Jesus is saying, we're going to go out and we're going to spread this kingdom and it's going to have physical manifestations of it. And every single time he names a space the kingdom should spread to, he talks about pain and suffering. 
he says, go first to the what? The lost sheep of Israel. If, if someone is lost, what do they need to be found? And we struggle with that, but salvation goes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, according to Romans. This message is going to go into Samaria. It's going to go into all the earth, but not yet. It starts with God's people, his chosen people, the race given to Abraham. And he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel and go to the sick and the lame. And the, wait, so this, this kingdom is specifically aimed at pain and suffering. Yes. So our mission as a church, when we talk about missions, it all has to be specifically aimed at suffering that is a byproduct of the fall. All of this, once again, this is, this is not the, we need to go do this. This is all the theological part of the sermon where I'm just trying to lay a framework of why do we spread the gospel to unreached peoples? Why do we care about orphans and widows? Why do we care about racial reconciliation? Why do we care about all these things? We care about these things because we are agents of the kingdom. Not, not people who do good works, because here's what the progressive agenda will tell you. The progressive agenda will tell you, oh, oh, we're just all on the same page, and if we could all just worship our own way. And I say, I say progressive, interchangeable with secular, by the way. To me, they're, they're very similar. And, and, so, and so the idea is, oh, Christians do good things. Everybody wants to do good things. No, we're not here to do good things. We're here to extend a kingdom. A kingdom. Who, there's a king. And so when you see these five groups that I put on the screen, just know this is not our effort to be a part of the good you want to see in the world. This is wherever Jesus is king, humans flourish. And here's some spaces where Jesus has not been named king, and we need to be a part of that kingdom expanding. Can we put those five things on the screen? These are the groups at ACC who we are specifically aimed at. I'll read them and then explain a little bit on each one. Lost and unreached, orphans and widows, poor and oppressed, captives and refugees, outsiders and outcasts. Just a word about a few of them. They're not in order of importance, just like first that came to my head. I believe it's, it's all important through the scriptures and in the eyes of God. Number one, lost. That means someone who has not come to a knowledge of saving faith in Christ. Spiritually speaking, the way Jesus talks about those people is that they are lost. Luke 15, they need to be found. It's not that they believe the wrong things or just do the wrong things. It's that they are trying to locate something that is found in Christ. And so when we preach the gospel, when we name Jesus as Lord in and through our lives, what we're doing is participating as agents in the kingdom in Jesus finding those who are trying to find their way. But I put lost and unreached on the same one in number one because unreached peoples are peoples who are not only lost, but they have not heard the name of Jesus. They have not had the gospel articulated in their language. I did a whole sermon on this about a year and a half ago. It was called Make Disciples, the Great Commission. You can find it on our YouTube page where we covered like globally, where are unreached peoples? And we are specifically aimed at people who are not just lost and dead in their sin, but literally have never had someone tell them the good news that there is a savior who has come down from heaven. He is Christ the Lord and they can give their lives to him. Lost and unreached. Number two, orphans and widows is James 1.27. Religion that is pure and faultless in the eyes of God is what? Take care of orphans. Take care of widows. We want to aim at those who are the most in pain. In our church family, yes, but also in the world. We want to give people a family. God sets the lowly in families. 
poor and oppressed. This is impoverished both spiritually and physically. And when I use the word oppressed, please don't like try to go, what does he mean by oppressed? The, the word oppression is people who are pressed to a degree that they don't have an opportunity to get out of what's pressuring them. I think of a trip I went on uh, to Haiti. Haiti is one of the most oppressed countries I have ever seen because it's like it's like they've got it coming from every single corner. Not only are they spiritually oppressed because of some demonic activity that has happened in that country, but, but even geographically, the way earthquakes and natural disasters have hurt the country and the corruption that exists in the government. It's like, even if you wanted, just visiting this orphanage, even if you wanted to get out of this suffering, there's not really a pathway for you to do that within the society and the framework that you live in. That's what it means. So we're talking about poor physically and spiritually. We're talking about oppression where either, either from a government or even from a spiritual place where there is not an option to get out of what has you. Number four, captives and refugees. We're talking about those in prison. Scripture talks about visiting those who are in prison. We're talking about addiction. We're talking about the abuse. We're talking about the trafficked. We're also in this one talking about the unborn. Because as it relates to abortion, I believe the unborn are just refugees who don't have the ability to run. Like they can't, they, do, they don't have anyone advocating for them. And so in this category, you, you don't just categorize it as, okay, I've heard that term before. It applies to this group of people. Yes, it applies to a group of people who are getting hunted down by their government and need a new place to live. Absolutely. But it also, I think, can be wider and broader than that. And then the last one, outsiders and outcasts. Man, the, the gospel is specifically aimed at people who the world would say you don't belong. These are our kids with special needs. These are anyone the world looks at and goes, you are not valuable in this system, and so we're going to cast you in this direction. It's those who would walk in this room and feel left out. It's anyone who feels a level of isolation. Maybe it's because of their past. Maybe it's because of their background, or maybe it's because of words that were spoken to them or even looks given to them. But we as a faith family and as a community are going to do everything we can to aim our efforts simultaneously at all these different groups through an organized campaign to extend the kingdom of God. Now, come up for air. Everybody okay? Everybody good? Okay. Here's what we typically do in church. And here's what we're going to try to avoid doing today. We typically profile either all of these groups or one of these groups and go, listen, according to the scriptures, Christians need to do something about number one, number two, whatever your burden is. And we call you to pay attention to all the ways our church is going to be involved in alleviating this stuff. And a few people who are interested sign up. And we could do that right now. In fact, as I think about what we're doing as a church, I'm like, oh my goodness, literally tomorrow night, Tomorrow night is alongside prayer night, a, a ministry that was birthed out of our church for foster care and adoption in Lee County that, I mean, anyone can participate in. Not, oh, we're ready to adopt a kid. I mean, college students can babysit for families who have adopted. I mean, families can support adopting or fostering families. I mean, our church started this ministry, and it's open, and all they're doing tomorrow night is praying and talking about solutions. That's at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Like, I got, man, I, I got plans at 6 Monday. Okay. Tuesday night is global night at seven o'clock where they're going to talk about how you, where you live right here and right now can be a part of missions to unreached people groups, not just by going across the world or by supporting missionaries, but by loving on global students right here in Auburn, right here, right now. And it's in a process that'll teach you how to evangelize your neighbors. And it's an incredible group that exists within the life of this church. And they're amazing. That's at seven on Tuesday night. 
Like, mm, got plans Tuesday as well. Or I'm, I live in Birmingham. Sorry, I'm not driving two hours for a one night thing. Okay, what about what about Compassion International, where we sponsor over a thousand kids who are stuck in poverty? Thirty eight dollars a month to see a child and really a whole family blessed in the process of getting enough food to not just survive but spiritual food from local church partnerships. We got, I mean, we got guys in our church who are traveling an hour back and forth to visit uh, those who are in prison. We have ministry for addicts. We have ministries like Women's Hope where we're on the front lines of helping women have other options other than abortion. I mean, we have like local serves where we're literally going to houses that are impoverished two minutes from here. We've got this myriad of activity that we're involved in. And it's not even fair for me to profile all these individual ministries because Immediately, all the other ministries are like, announce mine, talk about mine, announce mine. The church just becomes this collection of, hey, we got all this stuff going on, and somehow we got to let you know what you're invited to, even though you're super busy and could probably use a day off. So I want to stop at this moment and just say, instead of just announcing all the things that we're going to be a part of, I want to make sure every member of Auburn Community Church has their heart attached to the Father's heart for human suffering. Because, look up here, do not miss this, it is possible to do kingdom work without the king's heart. It's possible to do work for these groups without the heart of the one who extends through compassion to the people he loves. Like, where are you getting this from? Jonah? One of my favorite stories to reference, one of my favorite series we've ever done in our church, and we might bring back a remix because it was, it was that powerful. You ever read Jonah 4? Read the heading of Jonah 4 when you get time. I'll read it to you. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. That's what it's called. Jonah gets a call from God to go preach in Nineveh. He runs away. He gets on a ship to Tarshish going in the opposite direction. Whoops, a storm hits. They throw him out of the boat, swallowed by a fish large fish, spits him out on dry ground. Then he goes to Nineveh and preaches. End of the story, right? No. The end of the story of Jonah is him upset under a plant that withers away and him throwing a hissy fit at God going, you want to know why I didn't want to go to Nineveh? It wasn't because I was scared that they were going to kill me. It's because I was scared that you were going to forgive them. That's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and kindness, and I did not want you to forgive those people. Now, before you judge Jonah, understand that it's possible that the Ninevites killed Jonah's own family. Definitely killed Israelites. Awful people. And Jonah goes, I did what you told me to do, but my heart is not in line with your heart. Here's the thing. When you read about the ministry of Jesus, he was guided by one defining factor over and over and over again. What was it? If you're in Matthew 10, go back to Matthew 9. Before Jesus ever sent out the disciples, there was this moment in verse 35. I'm going to read it from the ESV because I I just like this translation of this passage better. Somebody said, come on. (laughs) And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. What was he teaching? Kingdom. And proclaim, oh, well, never mind. Matthew's going to say it. I don't have to interrupt Matthew. And proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Follow this. Jesus is spreading the kingdom, and he looks out, and he's filled with compassion. And he says, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Why was his heart breaking? His heart was breaking for the lack of leadership that was available for God's people. And so he starts teaching them. And he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, we need to pray. We need to pray because this harvest is so plentiful. There's so much work to do. But the workers are so few. Notice this. Before Jesus sent out the disciples and before he asked them to pray about the mission, he felt compassion. That's because step one in God's global mission for his glory is the people of God sharing in the heart of God. He felt compassion before he acted. You're like, Miles, you're grabbing one word from one passage. No, no, no. This happens every single time. This happens in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, Matthew chapter 15, verses thir- verse 32, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Luke chapter 7, verse 13, just to name a few. And in in commenting on all of these passages, Dane Ortland in his beautiful book, Gentle and Lowly, wrote this. He said, the Greek word for compassion is the same in all these texts and refers most literally to the bowels or guts of a person. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up from one's innermost core. This compassion reflects the deepest heart of Christ. When Jesus was stirred by compassion, and this happened a lot, he was stirred by the deepest part of who he is in his heart. Why? Because that's who God is. Remember remember when I read Exodus 34, when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate. That was the first word. You know, before God ever revealed himself to Moses in in Exodus 34 and Exodus 33, he's like, I'm going to walk in front of you and I'm going to proclaim my name. And then he goes, out of nowhere, he goes, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And it's like, what? God's like, hey, when I talk about myself, I can't help but talk about mercy and compassion, because that's who I am. God does not have to try to pump himself up to draw near to pain and suffering. It's just who he is. He moves most naturally to where there is pain. And you know this to be true, Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God draws near to where the pain is, and that is good news to someone who is separated from God. And so if Jesus is the one who draws most naturally to alleviate pain and suffering, guess what? If we're followers of Jesus, so should we. But why are so few of us doing it? Because we don't feel that gut level compassion because we're not close enough to let it hit us. Here's the whole sermon. Everybody look up here. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Whole sermon today is this. True compassion is always the byproduct of close proximity. True compassion is always the byproduct of close proximity. In other words, for you to have compassion on the suffering of a lost, dark, and broken world, you got to be close enough to feel it and get uncomfortable. You can't keep the pain an arm's length away. you got to let it in so that you care. And as your pastor, as we're talking about living life on mission and acknowledging that there are so many different groups within this church that are doing so much good work around the world, I just have to say that it is unfortunate that the vast majority of us, if we got honest, we would rather just keep our distance and feel like we're making a difference. 
Most of this church, not all of you, but most of us, we care about those five things, genuinely. Like we wanna contribute toward it. We love seeing a video of Ukraine believers who have hygiene products and are hearing the gospel. Like, that's awesome. But you care about that much. Like not enough to actually interrupt your vacation schedule. Not enough to actually interrupt your plans for your finances. Not enough, God forbid, to interrupt your kid's sports schedule. Like, like, like not enough to, to be adamant about, hey, you know what we need to do in our prosperous upper, upper middle class life here in Auburn, Alabama? We need to expose ourselves to some pain. That's what we need to do. Because there's sacrifice involved. Who wants to draw near to where it hurts? Well, I'm glad we didn't ask Jesus that question about dying for us. We're Christians. This is what we do. And I'm not, I'm not up here to shame you today. I'm up here to invite you into my lifelong process, which is this. I care, kind of, but I don't really care until I get close enough, and then I really care. So if you're like, oh, he's some kind of compassionate hero. No, no, no. I was the guy in youth group going up who would ask for permission from my youth pastor to miss the compassion session at summer camp every year. So we went to the same summer camp every year, Panama City Beach, Florida. I love to say where a lot of things happen that are ungodly, but very few times God, God gets involved, right? We're at youth camp, and there was, I always knew when it was. It was like they're going to do their compassion speech. They're going to ask people to sponsor kids for 30 something dollars a month. They're going to show a video that's going to get all these middle schoolers and high schoolers stirred up emotionally. And it's kind of manipulative because they don't have money, but they're going to give it to their parents and whatever. Like, that's what I was thinking as a 14-year-old. You're like, that's not normal. I know. I, I was like, and, and I knew I wanted to be a pastor. So I was like, hey, can I just go hang out with the leaders? I don't want to sit and I'm not going to sponsor a kid. And I just, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Well, then I became a lead pastor and started doing research on nonprofits that are most aligned with my heart. Come to find out, Compassion International runs their organization the way I would want it to be run if I was like running an organization for global poverty. It's church-based. It's child-focused. It, I, I was like looking at all the things. I was like, wow, all those years of ignoring these guys are actually really good. Um, I was like, man, so I met with them. And the, and, and the guy who I met with from Compassion, I was like, okay, we're ready to sponsor some kids. He's like, no, you're not. You need to come with me, and you got to see it. You, got, you just got to come. You just got to come see it. And, and for my schedule, we just had a kid, and, and I was like, oh, I, don't, I definitely don't have time for that, but okay. So I agreed to go on this trip to Peru. The day we flew out to Lima, Peru, was the day Hurricane Irma hit. Hartsfield-Jackson was the most empty I've ever seen, the Atlanta airport. I was like, what are we doing here? Like, let's, our flight got delayed three hours. I was like, we're not going. We're not going. We're not going. We're not going. And, and called them because they were already in Peru and like, hey, I'm sorry, y'all are going to have to hang out in Peru without us because we're not going. Something compelled me to get on that plane and all of a sudden it was totally different. When you're standing in third world poverty, you know what I'm talking about. You're in their living room, which is their shack, their whole house, where the bed's right there and the kitchen is out back and the, the bathroom is the woods. And you look in the eyes of these parents and you find out these are not lazy parents who ended up in an unfortunate situation. They actually love their kids just as much as I love mine. They're just in a, in a situation and in a system that does not allow for an opportunity out. And you see one of the three kids needs a wheelchair. They don't even have the wheelchair, so they just carry them every... I'm just like, all right. God, we've got to do something. 
this was, oh, I care about the global poverty. But then I stood in the room and I was like, we got to do something. And at ACC, we sponsor a thousand kids across the world. You can join in that today. It's online. I've seen in Ghana, y'all in Ghana, they were running out of food because of the Ukraine-Russia war. And some of these families survived because of y'all sponsorships that give them a basket of food a month. They're alive because we're giving. And that's on top of your giving to the church. I've seen what's happened in Colombia. There were food shortages that stemmed from COVID issues. And I'm telling you, this village that we are part of in San Onofre, Colombia, it's, it, the kids are fine. They're growing. They're healthy. Because of what we're doing, and I'm going, okay, that's what I want to be a part of. You're like, Miles, I'm not going to go to Peru. I, I don't, okay, why don't you go down the street? Because every time we do a serve day, it drives me crazy. I am not good at, like, manual labor, okay? I don't like it. Every time it's like, oh, we're going to do a serve day. And all the dads are so excited with their tool belts going to Ace and all the other stores. I'm like, ah, no serve day. All right. Here we go. Here we go. And part of it is, like, my, my Sabbath is from Friday at noon to Saturday at noon, so I, I, don't, I don't like it when stuff bleeds into Saturday. It's a little bit of my excuse, but we do My Jerusalem once a semester, and I'm like, okay, we're hosting it, so I should be there. And so I go, and y'all, I can't go into as much detail about this one as I did about Compassion because it's, it's five minutes from here. There's poverty in our community, and I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, that's different than Peru or Haiti because they're choosing that. I know that's what you're thinking. The pain that I saw was generational bondage. What we saw, me and some of the guys who served there, man, I was so mad. I, I, th I thought it was laziness. I thought this is ridiculous that people live like this right here in Auburn. But as we did our work and as we learned more about the family and no, it was like, what, what would your life look like if your parents were like so addicted, you never ever got a hug. And so as bad as you smell, all you wanted to do was hug the guys who were there rebuilding your bathroom. That's what it was. And I was so angry all day that day. Like, I don't want to be here. I just want to be with my family. I want a sermon prep and do all the spiritual things. I'm just being real with y'all. That's where I was. By the next day, I was on the floor over here weeping over this guy who had lost most of his teeth. And I'm like, God, you did it. You broke my heart. I don't know what it is for you, but I know there's a step out of apathy that looks like allowing God to break your heart. So what do I want you to do? Here's your, your whole sermon today in points. Number one is get close. Take some type of a step to get close to urgent physical and spiritual need. You got so many options in this church. Do something in your power to make yourself feel it. If you're here and you're numb, don't be ashamed of that. You should be. You are in a system that is made to make you keep pain at arm's length. Tip every once in a while toward cool organizations. No, you got to get close to the pain because Jesus came close to yours. And then number two, get called. How do I get called? How do I know what my individual calling is? Pay attention to where God breaks your heart. That's it. Your calling in the kingdom of God is connected to your burden for the kingdom of God. 
Everybody asking, how do I know God's will for my life? How do, is it this major or that major? Is it this job or that job? Is it marry this person or that person? Whatever, whatever. Here's the thing. God's calling on your life usually goes hand in hand with a burden he places on your heart. Like, don't do anything in your life for no reason. Tie it to a burden. If God breaks your heart for sex trafficking, then give your life to connect what you do every day to alleviating a need. If God burdens your heart for something specific, and here's, here's what we can't have at ACC. We can't have a competition of burdens. It's like, well, Miles should talk about my burden more. No, we should learn how to carry one another's burdens in a way that's mature and helpful. So if you're at that housing project and, and you're over here serving at Women's Hope and you're over here caring about the nations and mobilizing believers to go to all nations, like, let's do that in a, in a way that coexists with everybody else's burden and be mature about it and don't go, well, they're not as passionate about my thing as I am. It's because God broke your heart for that. Do you want to know what God broke my heart for at 19 years old? This, the lukewarm church, that's mine. And so I'm up here today reading about sheep that need a shepherd. And I'm thinking about the church in the United States of America. And I'm looking at videos of pastors who are affirming things that are against the word of God. And I'm up here with a combination of holy fire and sadness to lead you well. Why am I able to do that? Because it's, it's, it's rooted in brokenness. You got to let God break you to some degree. And he's never going to do that if you're never exposed to pain. So it would be really easy to take communion today and just bow our heads and reflect. And some of you are panicking, like, I didn't get mine. Nobody did, because we're not doing it today. We're going to stand up all over this room. Band's going to come up here right now. And we're going to sing realities that we just heard the word of God preached about. If you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus as king, this is a great moment to do that. But can we as a church family, all of our locations and in this room, Commit this prayer to God. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours in the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, I ask you that our church would look like the bride you call us to be, that we would care about the hurt and the pain and the suffering that exists in the world, and that God, somehow, we would be faithful with all of these burdens. God, there is no way for me in one sermon to name all the different ways and areas that we can get involved individually. I just pray for open hearts today that would be readily opened and available to the individual burden that you're going to give them and that we collectively as a church would mean it when we pray, God, on earth as it is in heaven, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. We love you, God. We sing to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.